Welcome to the Off-Ramps podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of the Off-Ramp, Kristen. We know what it's like to feel helpless when faced with the magnitude of the world's problems. You want to do something about it, but don't know how or where to start. Well, that's why we're here. At the Off-Ramp, our goal is twofold. First, to keep you informed about the ongoings in immigration, migration, and global affairs. And second, to connect you with opportunities to make a real difference in the lives of forcibly displaced people both near and far. Practical and positive change is possible. Let's work together to make it happen. Hello, everybody. This is going to be uh, a very different, uh, but uh, I am sure exciting for all of us podcast. I'm so thrilled to introduce to you some folks who have been really important uh, in my life and uh, important in the life of the off-ramp. First, I'd like to introduce you to my colleague, Sue Smith. Sue and I have been colleagues, oh, 15 years now, Sue, at least. Um, And uh, most recently, um, she has moved into the position of my immediate supervisor. Um, Sue and I have connected uh, for a long time over um, the idea of women, women in ministry, and women in their roles as they um, minister in very profound ways to some of the deepest felt needs. And I think that comes from a place of understanding those needs. So as the off-ramp was birthed and as we began uh, visiting with Sue about various needs, we came to know the Seminario. Um, Sue, I'm going to let you say the name because I would mess it up. Seminario. Seminario Intercultural Mayense or Mayan Intercultural Seminary. So I'll just say SIM from this point. (laughs) Um, We got to know SIM and we got to know um, this fascinating and amazing woman, Dahlia at SIM. Dahlia introduced us to somebody named Vero. You all will know her from the project that we have, Vero's Loom. Um, And through that connection, we were able to um, help Vero secure her loom, get some training, and that's a project that's ongoing. But all of that, as it was unfolding, Kristen, on behalf of the off-ramp, made a trip to Chiapas to just um, learn what was going on there, to get a feel for how things um, operated, to get to know Dahlia, get to know Vero. Sue, you went with her. I'm a little bit jealous. You both apparently had a fabulous time without me, and I'm just not sure that's right, Um, but I'll make up for it. So um, this podcast is uh, our opportunity to introduce you to SIM. Everybody's heard of the pandemic pivot. We've all had to change. We've all had to go in new directions. And today we want to introduce you to what's happened at, the, at SIM and how they've had to pivot and how you can be a change maker and be involved. Thanks mom for the introduction. I am so excited to have the opportunity to interview Dahlia on this podcast. Dahlia has become a friend and as I wrote on Facebook yesterday about the seminario, I really was moved by the experience that I had in Chiapas uh, with Dahlia and in seeing the work that she does. 
I ask you to bear with us today as we translate, thanks to Sue, uh, my conversation with Dahlia. But I wanted to talk to, to you, Dahlia, today about, at first, just the seminario in general and the kind of work that it does and why it's so important. Can you give our listeners just a brief introduction to your work and what you do? Dahlia, ¿podría dar a los que están escuchando ese podcast uh, como una presentación del seminario breve y el trabajo, el labor que ustedes hacen? Sí. Es, el Seminario Intercultural Mayense es una organización colectiva que desde la cosmovisión y resistencia indígena ofrece herramientas de transformación social a través de la educación bíblica teológica, del arte y la construcción de paz. Asimismo, teje con ellas proyectos de desarrollo en el área de autonomía alimentaria, agricultura sostenible y economía solidaria. Todo esto es en diálogo con la sabiduría ancestral indígena desde una pastoral ecoteológica que se encarna en las realidades de las mujeres, de la juventud y de la niñez indígena. Dalia, what are some of the real on the ground problems that these women and children especially are facing um, under normal circumstances? And then let's begin also to pivot toward how are those problems, those needs, how have they evolved with the coming of the pandemic? Dalia, una pregunta sobre la realidad de los niños y de las mujeres y qué han experimentado ellos en esos días, especialmente con el pandémico y, y, en, y los cambios y los retos que ellos han experimentado. Yo creo que el COVID especialmente se abonó a todos los problemas que los niños, las mujeres, y que en general todas las comunidades indígenas ya han tenido dos problemas que veo que son como medulares dentro de las comunidades indígenas, es la salud y la educación. Estas dos justamente develaron y nos siguen manifestando que hay una realidad y una inequidad que han enfrentado las comunidades indígenas desde hace mucho tiempo, no es a través del, del COVID, sino que esto se ha venido arrastrando por años. Los que se han enfermado de COVID, que son de comunidades indígenas, no tienen el recurso económico para bajar a un hospital que esté cercano a una ciudad. Eh, porque simplemente la salud está privatizada, tienes que tener mucho dinero para que te hagan la prueba, para que te puedas quedar en el hospital. Y es por ello que vemos que se están enfrentando estas realidades que antes sí se veían, pero ahora se observan con mucho más eh, frecuencia. I'm wondering if you could um, perhaps clarify a, a couple of things. I'm curious. Um, so we keep talking about the villages and we're talking about indigenous people. I know when Kristen first went to Chiapas with you, this was a question that I had. What's the difference between somebody who identifies as Mexican and coming from Mexico 
and the indigenous people that Dahlia is speaking to us about. And, and what does it mean to be a collective? Um, I can speak to the part about um, the indigenous people. Um, Chiapas is a heavily, heavily indigenous part of Mexico. Mexico has many, many people who maintain their indigenous traditions and their cultures. And most of them, a lot of them live in small villages outside of, of major uh, towns. Um, and they live in, in these small villages, maintain their traditional ways, maintain their agricultural um, uh, focus on agriculture. They're mainly uh, subsistence farmers. Uh, they do sell some of their crops, but they, in many cases, they live and maintain their own language and culture. Their schools operate uh, within those villages. And so a lot of times the people are very remote uh, from the average Mexican town or city, um, and they're very insulated uh, from a lot of the rest of the world. And so many of these pockets exist uh, throughout uh, Mexico and Central America of indigenous people who that's their first language. We have many who come to the United States as well, who still speak an indigenous language as their first language and Spanish as their second because they've learned that in school. Uh, Dalia tal vez nos puede uh, uh, explicar un poquitito más que es una colectiva. Un colectivo de, de mujeres, de niños o En general, un colectivo. En general. En general. El colectivo es, es una organización de mujeres, de hombres, de niños, de jóvenes, que mirando sus realidades, tanto económicas como educativas o de ciertos problemas, juntan sus esfuerzos para mirar cómo enfrentar esas realidades y entonces eh, buscar maneras, respuestas para enfrentarlas. Eso es, en términos generales, eso es un colectivo. So I have a follow-up question to what Dalia was saying about health and education. I, I have a really clear understanding now, based on our conversation, about how the access to health is really been a problem during COVID and has exacerbated the health issues that indigenous peoples face um, to begin with. Can she clarify a little bit more how COVID has impacted access to education? I know she and I had talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to learn more and I think that would interest our readers, uh, or excuse me, our listeners as well. Dalia, a uh, Christian le gustaría saber un poquitito más uh, sobre la parte de la educación, como el COVID ha impactado uh, eh, esa parte de, de la vida de, de, la, de los pueblos, en la parte educativa. De por sí se sabe que en los pueblos indígenas tenemos una educación deficiente. No se puede comparar a la educación que se da en una ciudad. Por ejemplo, Ciudad de México, Puebla, La, los estados mayores, o sea, donde no hay presencia indígena, no existe una comparación de lo que se les da a esos niños de esas ciudades en comparación a las comunidades indígenas. En primer lugar, los profesores y profesoras ni siquiera manejan las lenguas originarias de los pueblos y entonces someten a los niños bruscamente a que entiendan el español sin saberlo. Entonces toman clases en español. Sus maestros no son bilingües. 
How has COVID made that worse? What has been the impact on education specifically? Y el impacto de COVID. ¿Qué es el impacto de COVID para peorar esa sí. situación? Ahora regresaron todas las escuelas a la educación, pero a través de lo virtual. ¿Cómo es posible que el gobierno mexicano impulse una educación sabiendo que ni siquiera en comunidades indígenas existe el internet, existe la telefonía, existen computadoras? Entonces, ¿cómo va a llegar la educación hasta las comunidades indígenas si no se cuenta con el aparato con la plataforma que supuestamente el gobierno está ofreciendo, está diciendo que a través de la televisión abierta se van a pasar, pero desde hace mucho tiempo ya se quitaron las pantallas, las pantallas este, de cajón, ahora son pantallas este, de estas que, que se están utilizando, ya no son las, las televisiones, sino que ahora son plasmas. Entonces, las comunidades indígenas quedaron obsoletas con sus televisiones. Entonces, aunque tengan eso, no pueden tener acceso a la educación los niños. Y eso es a lo que estamos apostando ahora como Seminario Intercultural Mayense, apoyar a estos niños que no cuentan con esta educación que supuestamente el gobierno está ofreciendo. So on that last point, can, um, can Dahlia expand more on what a day in the life of the people who work for SIM looks like? When they go into these villages, are, you know, are they teaching classes? Are they offering medical care? What does that actual work look like? Help paint a picture for our listeners because it's so far removed from most of our reality. Si puede explicar cómo es un día. Uh, explica a los que están escuchando um, cómo es un día, ¿Qué, qué ha hecho Aurelia y cómo está enseñando, ¿Qué, cómo es un día para ella en el pueblo. En Yo creo que sí, eh, para poner un poquito en contexto a la gente que nos está escuchando, uh -huh. Aurelia es una mujer maya indígena del tal y ella junto conmigo, que somos indígenas, aunque yo no soy maya, yo soy náhuatl, estar encerradas, y yo creo que para todos y todas en el mundo, es como si estuviéramos en una prisión, porque no tenemos contacto. Entonces, Aurelia, junto conmigo, hablamos y dijimos, es necesario movernos. Sé que nos da miedo. Sé que la pandemia existe, eso es real, y que en cualquier momento nos podemos enfermar del COVID. Pero entonces ella decidió irse a su comunidad. Y entonces, ¿cómo es un día de Aurelia? El día de Aurelia empieza en la mañana. Se levanta, desayuna y se va con los niños indígenas de 6 a 12 años está atendiendo a los niños para eh, ver los problemas que se les dificultan en, la, en las escuelas. Por ejemplo, si no saben sumar, si no saben las multiplicaciones, este, está reforzando un poco el español. Aunque yo sé 
y también Aurelia lo sabe muy bien, que lo poquito, como ella ha dicho, lo poco que yo sé de esta lengua del español, les voy a transmitir a estos niños y a estas niñas, porque igual ustedes tienen que saber que Aurelia solamente tiene la secundaria. Quisiera, ella a lo mejor quiso en un tiempo terminar otros estudios, pero por diferentes motivos no lo hizo. I want to take a, a moment just to explain to our listeners something that I learned when I went to Chapas for the first time and um, surrounding the importance of the work that, that Sim does. It's obviously important to, for us to value and invest in these indigenous communities, not just because they represent cultures that are evaporating, that um, are disappearing, but also because what happens when we don't invest in children who live in these remote villages or in families or in women is that people end up displaced. They have to move elsewhere. They have to uh, travel to other parts of Mexico where the injustice is very real. The inequities among these people when they move to other parts of the country are very real. They suffer significant um, abuse at the hands of, of other groups and communities within the country of Mexico. And so while there might be other economic opportunities that are found in other parts of the country, it really isn't necessarily safe or helpful for them to always travel outside of their home villages. So what Sim is doing and has done even before COVID is invest in people where they are. Now, if you've heard us talk about that, if you think you've heard us talk about that before, it's because we have. The off-ramp is all about investing in people to prevent displacement so that they can flourish, so that they can thrive, not just survive, where they are. Now, if you become displaced, then we also want to help you at that point. But the work of SIM aligns so perfectly with what the off-ramp is doing. And at this point, especially, their work is, is keeping these kids educated and some of these people alive. Um, Sue, I'm wondering if you could just, for Dahlia's information and uh, context, paraphrase a little bit of what I just said, and then ask her to clarify maybe how they're contributing to the health inequities during COVID in the villages. Hey, Dalia, nada más para ponerle al día de lo que estaba diciendo Christine. Uh, es, eh, algo que impacta los, las comunidades es que uh, es una inversión. La educación es una inversión para mantener eh, los niños y lo, las muchachas, los muchachos ahí dentro del pueblo para no tener que salir. Porque cuando salen a otras partes de México o al norte, Uh, muchas veces no es muy seguro dónde van ellos, es un poco peligroso y entonces como el off-ramp, eh, el propósito del off-ramp es para uh, um, para que se trate con las, la, los asuntos de desplazamiento y mm. para mantener la gente dentro de la comunidad es mejor quedarse en casa, quedarse Ahí, pero necesita el, eh, la capacidad de sostenerse económicamente para quedar en la, en la comunidad. Y entonces ustedes por medio de SIM están creando uh, comunidades más sanos y más con más oportunidades, especialmente para los niños y los muchachos. 
um, puede hablar un poquitito de cómo está uh, el SIM uh, trabajando en la, parte, uh, uh, en la parte de la salud de las comunidades? ¿Cómo está enseñando o, o tratando con ese asunto? Sí. Desde el año pasado, no sé si, si fue el Espíritu de Dios que nos estuvo diciendo, pero el año pasado estuvimos dando por un año, eh, estuvimos ofreciendo eh, talleres para levantar promotores de salud. Tenemos a un amigo que es voluntario del SIM y que es médico tradicional indígena maya, pero también está estudiando eh, la licenciatura para terminar la medicina. Entonces, estuvimos dando la, eh, talleres de salud comunitaria a través de este amigo que ha trabajado toda la herbolaria chiapaneca, rescatando las plantas que tienen en las comunidades indígenas para sacarle todo el beneficio porque es muy difícil muchas veces para las comunidades tener dinero para comprarse algún medicamento que está costoso, pero que se tiene a través de una planta para sanar la temperatura eh, y otras enfermedades. Another thing that I think uh, might be very important for our listeners to understand that we continue to bring up regarding displacement um, and why the work of, of, of SIM is so important Anytime someone is displaced, there is a significant increase in the risk of human trafficking. Um, and especially since labor trafficking is, most people don't realize this, the most prevalent form of human trafficking that exists. And because between, uh, between the fact that we share a border, so much of that labor trafficking is happening in this direction to prevent displacement to have education and healthcare, um, to empower women, um, and to prevent that displacement is not only to prevent the dangers that may come to them, uh, but uh, to prevent the human trafficking that exists uh, worldwide, but especially um, between the United States and um, our, the countries to ourselves. I wanna ask Dahlia now, how we can support SIM. I will talk about the fundraiser that we're hosting in a few days uh, toward the end of this podcast. But before I dig into that, can she speak to how anyone, any church, any individual, any organization can support SIM and what that looks like and what their needs are? Dale, Christine va a hablar un poquitito más adelante, eh, más específico en cómo podemos por medio de ese fundraiser, de ese evento, uh, apoyar al seminario. Pero en maneras prácticas, ¿cómo, cómo ve usted o cuáles maneras pueden las iglesias, las personas, individuos, ayudar y apoyar al SIM? Yo creo que la primera es con su, sus oraciones para este proyecto que tenemos aquí en México, en Chiapas. Y sabemos que las comunidades indígenas siempre han sido vulnerables y aún más ahora con la pandemia. Entonces, si nos pueden apoyar con alguna ofrenda para eh, seguir continuando ofreciendo estos talleres, no solamente de educación alternativa, para nuestros niños 
y niñas de las comunidades, pero también para hacer conciencia desde la salud, volver a lo natural, nuestras comunidades tienen una amplia este, gama de plantas que pueden volver a traer a la memoria colectiva cómo han ayudado estas plantas durante generaciones. Entonces, yo creo que de esa manera nos pueden ayudar eh, las personas, sean este, iglesias o a, a título personal, eh, enviando sus oraciones y enviando ofrendas. As we near our time together for this podcast, I wanted to make a personal plea, a personal ask. When I traveled to Chiapas a year ago, I really didn't know what to expect. I was excited. I was excited to discover a new place, to meet new people. I was really excited for the potential of the Off-Ramps partnership with Vero and um, her friends and colleagues facilitated by Sim. What I did not anticipate is how moved I was by the work that Sim does, by the work that Dahlia does. Uh, I left feeling as if they had touched on something that eludes so many of us. They had figured out how to respond in a very real way to real needs among people in their community. The impact that Sim is having is tangible. There are no more fundamental contributions to our thriving as humans in education and health. Without an education, without good health, nothing else is possible. And so by addressing the needs of children and of women in particular in fragile communities, by addressing these needs in particular, they are setting up so many people and com entire communities for success in the future, for success that looks and feels natural to them, not success that forces them to go elsewhere, not success that forces them to speak in a language that isn't theirs, not success that forces them to be someone they aren't, success that is their own. I was so moved by Sim and by Dahlia and by her team. And I left knowing that I had to participate, that I had to help in some way. And I didn't know that that way would be now or that that time would be now. But I know it, I know it today. What Dahlia won't tell you is that none of them take a salary. What Dahlia won't tell you is that she's, she is incredibly generous with her time, with her resources, as limited as they may be. And Sim needs our help to help others. Sim needs our financial contributions to continue doing the very good work that they are doing. COVID has not made things easier. It has made things far more difficult for them. And yet they march on. And so as I put it in a Facebook post yesterday, I was moved a year ago and now it's time for me to move and it's time for me to get others to move. We are putting together a fundraiser that will take place on September 19th, Saturday, September 19th, as well as Wednesday, September 23rd. Now you can donate at theofframp.org to Sims Project 
at any point in the future. We will continue supporting them in this way. But what we're doing on the 19th and on the 23rd is to tell you more of these stories, to introduce you to Sim in an even more real way, and to familiarize you with the impact that, that, her te that Dahlia's team is having. We're gonna do this through sharing stories from me and my friend Colin, who have both traveled there. We're gonna have more conversations with Dahlia. We're gonna interview the founder of Sim, who no longer is there, but talk to her about her intent in creating the project and the organization. Every little bit goes a long way. Sim doesn't need, relatively speaking, that much money to do their work. This is real change that we can make happen in a relatively short period of time. And I'm asking you to contribute to that. I've seen the work on the ground and I can attest to how good and how real and how impactful it is. And so if you are looking to participate in something like that, this is an opportunity for you. Our tagline is become a change maker. We look for the opportunities and we pass them along to you so that you can participate in whatever way makes the most sense to you, whether that is through prayer, whether that is through just joining our conversations and learning more throughout the duration of this fundraiser on the 19th and the 23rd, or whether it is through financial donations. All of the information about our fundraiser is on our Facebook page. You can also subscribe to our email and we'll send out regular updates about it. I hope you join us. I hope you've been able to tell just a little bit how meaningful Dahlia's work is at SIM and that of her team. And I hope that you feel moved in the way that I was when I was there. I'm going to step off my soapbox now and ask Sue to ask Dahlia if there is anything else that she would like to tell our listeners before we sign off today. Dalia, ¿hay alguna cosa más que quiere compartir con los que están escuchando esa presentación? Que sí, la, creo que tenemos la oportunidad de ofrecer nuestros dones, nuestros talentos, todo lo que Dios ha puesto en nuestras manos para el servicio del prójimo, del cercano, pero también del que está lejano. No nos limitemos a hacer el bien, como dice Pablo, hacer el bien, buscar la paz como Jesús la construyó. Con... Fue una comunidad de pescadores, pero también había mujeres. Hicieron comunidad, vieron la realidad y ayudaron. Entonces, estas inequidades que vemos en el mundo, eh, que vemos a través del, de la pandemia, nos hacen ver que todavía no alcanzamos a llegar a decir que está completa la obra que empezó este creador que soñó. Eh, seguimos buscando la justicia, seguimos sembrando en corazones la conciencia y esperamos que Dios nos ayude a escuchar en medio de estos tiempos su voz, que su espíritu nos siga invitando a apoyar desde lo que podamos al que lo necesita en este tiempo. Les agradezco muchísimo a, a Neil, a Kirsten, a Sue y a todos los que nos están escuchando por todo este tiempo que han prestado. Sé que los tiempos, no solamente en Estados Unidos, también en México, son importantes. 
Y así es que les agradezco por esta atención que han brindado a, a esta palabra que hemos dado, a este diálogo que se ha formado. Muchas gracias y que Dios nos bendiga. Thanks for listening to the Off-Ramps podcast. If you were inspired to act during this conversation, you can find us and learn more at theofframp.org or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Helplessness and hopelessness do not have to define your future or the world's. Become a change maker today.